Chapter Thirty One of A Son of the Middle Border by Hamlin Garland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Maine traveled roads. My second visit to the West confirmed me in all my sorrowful notions of life on the plain, and I resumed my writing in a mood of bitter resentment, with full intention of telling the truth about Western farm life, irrespective of the land boomer or the politicians i do not defend this mood i merely report it in this spirit i finished a story which i called a prairie heroine in order that no one should mistake my meaning for it was the study of a crisis in the life of a despairing farmer's wife and while even here i did not tell the whole truth i succeeded in suggesting to the sympathetic observer a tragic and hopeless common case it was a tract that must be admitted and realizing this knowing that it was entirely too grim to find a place in the pages of the century or harper's i decided to send it to the arena a new boston review whose spirit so i have been told was frankly radical a few days later i was amazed to receive from the editor a letter of acceptance enclosing a check but a paragraph in the letter astonished me more than the check which was for one hundred dollars i herewith enclose a check wrote the editor which i hope you will accept in payment of your story i note that you have cut out certain paragraphs of description with fear no doubt that the editor would object to them i hope you will restore the manuscript to its original form and return it when i ask a man to write for me i want him to utter his mind with perfect freedom my magazine is not one that is afraid of strong opinions this statement backed up by the writer's signature on a blue slip produced in me a moment of stupefaction entertaining no real hope of acceptance i had sent the manuscript in accordance with my principle of trying every avenue and to get such an answer an immediate answer with a check as soon as i recovered the use of my head and hand i replied in eager acknowledgment i do not recall the precise words of my letter but it brought about an early meeting between b o flower the editor and myself flower's personality pleased me hardly more than a boy at this time he met me with the friendliest smile and in our talk we discovered many common lines of thought your story he said is the kind of fiction i need if you have any more of that sort let me see it my magazine is primarily for discussion but i want to include at least one story in each issue i cannot match the prices of magazines like century of course but i will do the best i can for you it would be difficult to exaggerate the value of this meeting to me for no matter what any one may now say of the arena's logic or literary style its editor's life was nobly altruistic i have never known a man who strove more single-heartedly for social progress than b o flower he was the embodiment of unselfish public service and his ready sympathy for every genuine reform made his editorial office a centre of civic zeal as champions of various causes we all met in his open lists in the months which followed he accepted for his magazine several of my short stories and bought and printed under the wheel an entire play not to mention an essay or two on 
the new declaration of rights he named me among his regular contributors and became not merely my comforter and active supporter but my banker for the regularity of his payments raised me to comparative security i was able to write home the most encouraging reports of my progress at about the same time or a little later the century accepted a short story which i called a spring romance and a three-part tale of wisconsin for this i received nearly five hundred dollars accompanying the note of acceptance was a personal letter from richard watson gilda so hearty in its words of appreciation that i was assured of another and more distinctive avenue of expression it meant something to get into the century in those days the praise of its editor was equivalent to a diploma i regarded gilder as second only to howells in all that had to do with the judgment of fiction flowers interests were ethical gilder's aesthetic and after all my ideals were essentially literary my reform notions were subordinate to my desire to take honors as a novelist i cannot be quite sure of the precise date of this good fortune but i think it must have been in the winter of eighteen ninety for i remember writing a lofty letter to my father in which i said if you want any money let me know as it happened he had need of seed wheat and it was with deep satisfaction that i repaid the money i had borrowed of him together with three hundred dollars more and so faced the new year clear of debt like the miner who having suddenly uncovered a hidden vein of gold bends to his pick in a confident belief in his find so i humped above my desk without doubts without hesitations i had found my work in the world if i had any thought of investment at this time which i am sure i had not it was concerned with the west i had no notion of settling permanently in the east my success in entering both the century and the arena emboldened me to say to dr cross i shall be glad to come down out of the attic and take a full-sized chamber at regular rates alas he had no such room and so after much perturbation my brother and i hired a little apartment on moreland street in roxbury and moved into it joyously with a few dollars in my pocket i went so far as to buy a couple of pictures and a new book rack the first property i had ever owned and when on the first night with everything in place we looked around upon our suite we glowed with such exultant pride as only struggling youth can feel after years of privation i had at last secured a niche in the frowning escarpment of boston social palisade frank was twenty-seven i was thirty and had it not been for a haunting sense of our father's defeat and a growing fear of mother's decline we would have been entirely content how can we share our good fortune with her and with sister jessie was the question which troubled us most jessie's fate seemed especially dreary by contrast with our busy and colorful life we can't bring them here i argued they would never be happy here father is a border man he would enjoy coming east on a visit but to shut him up in boston would be like caging an eagle the case seems hopeless the more we discussed it the more insoluble the problem became the best we could do was to write often and to plan for frequent visits to them one day late in march 
flower who had been using my stories in almost every issue of his magazine said to me why don't you put together some of your tales of the west and let us bring them out in book form i believed they would have instant success his words delighted me for i had not yet begun to hope for an appearance as the author of a book setting to work at once to prepare such a volume i put into it two unpublished novelettes called up the coulee and the branch road for the very good reason that none of the magazines not even the arena found them available this reduced the number of sketches to six so that the title page read main travelled roads six mississippi valley stories by hamlin garland the phrase main travelled road is common in the west ask a man to direct you to a farmhouse and he will say keep the main travelled road till you come to the second crossing and turn to the left it seemed to me not only a picturesque title significant of my native country but one which permitted the use of a grimly sardonic foreword this i supplied the main travelled road in the west as everywhere is hot and dusty in summer and desolate and drear with mud in fall and spring and in winter the winds sweep the snows across it but it does sometimes cross a rich meadow where the songs of the larks and blackbirds and bobolinks are tangled follow it far enough it may lead past a bend in the river where the water laughs eternally over its shallows mainly it is long and weariful and has a dull little town at one end and a home of toil at the other like the main travelled road of life it is traversed by many classes of people but the poor and the weary predominate this my first book was put together during a time of deep personal sorrow my little sister died suddenly leaving my father and mother alone on the bleak plain seventeen hundred miles from both their sons hopelessly crippled my mother now mourned the loss of her baby and the soldier's keen eyes grew dim for he loved his little daughter above anything else in the world the flag of his sunset march was drooping in its staff nothing but poverty and a lonely old age seemed before him and yet in his letters to me he gave out only the briefest hints of his despair all this will explain if the reader is interested to know why the dedication of my little book was bitter with revolt to my father and mother whose half-century of pilgrimage on the main travelled road of life has brought them only pain and weariness these stories are dedicated by a son to whom every day brings a deepening sense of his parents silent heroism it will explain also why the comfortable the conservative those who farmed the farmer resented my thin grey volume and its message of acrid accusation it was published in eighteen ninety one and the outcry against it was instant and astonishing to me i had a foolish notion that the literary folk of the west would take a local pride in the color of my work and to find myself execrated by nearly every critic as a bird willing to foul his own nest was an amazement editorials and criticisms poured into the office all written to prove that my pictures of the middle border were utterly false statistics were employed to show that pianos and brussels carpets adorned almost every iowa farmhouse 
tilling the prairie soil was declared to be the noblest vocation in the world not in the least like the pictures this eastern author has drawn of it true corn was only eleven cents per bushel at the time and the number of alien farm renters was increasing true all the bright boys and girls were leaving the farm following the examples of my critics but these i was told were all signs of prosperity and not of decay the american farmer was getting rich and moving to town only the renters and the hired men were uneasy and clamorous my answer to all this criticism was a blunt statement of facts butter is not always golden nor biscuits invariably light and flaky in my farm scenes because they're not so in real life i explained i grew up on a farm and i am determined once for all to put the essential ugliness of its life into print i will not lie even to be a patriot a proper proportion of the sweat flies heat dirt and drudgery of it all shall go in i am a competent witness and i intend to tell the whole truth but i didn't even my youthful zeal faltered in the midst of a revelation of the lives led by the women on the farms of the middle border before the tragic futility of their suffering my pen refused to shed its ink over the hidden chamber of their maternal agonies i drew the veil the old soldier had nothing to say but mother wrote to me it scares me to read some of your stories they are so true you might have said more she added but i'm glad you didn't farmers wives have enough to bear as it is my stories were not written for farmers wives i replied they were written to convict the selfish monopolistic liars of the towns i hope the liars read em was her laconic retort nevertheless in spite of all the outcry against my book words of encouragement came in from a few men and women who had lived out the precise experiences which i had put into print you have delineated my life one man said every detail of your description is true the sound of the prairie chickens the hum of the threshing machine the work of seeding corn husking everything is familiar to me and new in literature a woman wrote you are entirely right about the loneliness the stagnation the hardship we are sick of lies give the world the truth another critic writing from the heart of a great university said i value your stories highly as literature but i suspect that in the social war which is coming you and i will be at each other's throats this controversy naturally carried me farther and farther from the traditional the respectable as a rebel in art i was prone to arouse hate every letter i wrote was a challenge and one of my conservative friends frankly urged the folly of my course it is a mistake for you to be associated with cranks like henry george and writers like whitman he said it is a mistake to be published by the arena your book should have been brought out by one of the old established firms if you fling away your radical notions and consent to amuse the governing classes you will succeed fling away my convictions it were as easy to do that as to cast out my bones i was not wearing my indignation as a cloak my rebellious tendencies came from something deep down they formed an element in my blood my patriotism resented the failure of our government therefore such an advice had very little influence upon me 
the criticism that really touched and influenced me was that which said don't preach exemplify don't let your stories degenerate into tracts howells said be fine be fine but not too fine and gilder warned me not to leave beauty out of the picture in the light of this friendly counsel i perceived my danger and set about to avoid the fault of mixing my fiction with my polemics the editor of the arena remained my most loyal supporter he filled the editorial section of his magazine with praise of my fiction and loudly proclaimed my nonconformist character no editor ever worked harder to give his author a national reputation and the book sold not as books sell now but moderately steadily and being more widely read than sold went far this proved of course that my readers were poor and could not afford to pay a dollar for a book at least they didn't and i got very little royalty from the sale if i had any illusions about that they were soon dispelled on the paper-bound book i got five cents on the cloth-bound ten the sale was mainly in the fifty-cent edition it was not for me to criticize the methods by which my publisher was trying to make me known and i do not at this moment regret flowers insistence upon the reforming side of me but for the reason that he was essentially ethical rather than aesthetic some part of the literary significance of my work escaped him it was from the praise of howells matthews and stedman that i received my enlightenment i began to perceive that in order to make my work carry its message i must be careful to keep a certain balance between significance and beauty the artist began to check the preacher howells gave the book large space in the study in harper's and what he said of it profoundly instructed me edward everett hale mary e wilkins thomas wentworth higginson charles dudley warner edmund clarence stedman and many others were most generous of applause in truth i was welcomed into the circle of american realists with an instant and generous greeting which astonished at the same time that it delighted me i marvel at this appreciation as i look back upon it and surely in view of its reception no one can blame me for considering my drab little volume a much more important contribution to american fiction than it really was it was my first book and so perhaps the reader will excuse me for being a good deal uplifted by the noise it made then too it is only fair to call attention to the fact that aside from edward eggleton's hoosier schoolmaster howe's story of a country town and zuri by joseph kirkland i had the middle west almost entirely to myself not one of the group of western writers who have since won far greater fame and twenty times more dollars than i had at the time published a single volume william allen white albert biglow payne stuart edward white jack london emerson hough george ade meredith nicholson booth tuckington and rex beach were all to come octave thanet was writing her stories of arkansas life for scribners but had published only one book among all my letters of encouragement of this time not one except perhaps that from mr howells meant more to me than a word which came from walt whitman who hailed me as one of the literary pioneers of the west for whom he had been waiting his judgment so impersonal so grandly phrased 
gave me the feeling of having been praised by posterity in short i was assured that my face was set in the right direction and that the future was mine for i was not yet thirty-one years of age and thirty-one is a most excellent period of life and yet by a singular fatality at this moment came another sorrow the death of alice my boyhood adoration i had known for years that she was not for me but i loved to think of her as out there walking the lanes among the roses and the wheat as a fold my regard for her was no longer that of the lover desiring and hoping and though i acknowledged defeat i had been too broadly engaged in my ambitious literary plans to permit her deflection to permanently cloud my life she had been a radiant and charming figure in my prairie world and when i read a letter telling of her passing my mind was irradiated with the picture she had made when she last said good-bye to me her gentle friendship had been very helpful through all my years of struggle and now in the day of my security her place was empty End of chapter thirty one